0: You and I for the Kenai We have been on a long hiatus this past summer um, As some of you may know uh, Eric is no longer with us He's not dead But <laughs> he got into law school So he is actually not here But he's here So good luck to Eric out at, at Harvard Law We're all really excited for him to be out there um, Also, if you guys have noticed We have intro music That intro music is original score by our cousin Mercer So thank you Mercer for the intro music Yeah, so we're really excited to be back. Uh, We're going to kind of relaunch our podcast here. We're back with some new recovery stories, new community resources, and we're going to continue to kind of jump back to doing uh, some one-year laters, or I guess they're almost two years later now with some people. We're going to start catching back up, but this is kind of a new, fresh start for you and I for the Kenai. We're going to unveil a little bit of a new podcast page. We're going to kind of unveil a little bit new format. Um, If some of you guys are a little more loyal listeners, we kind of did it with Brittany's podcast and a little bit with Thomas's too. We're going to focus less on the act of addiction and more in the recovery process. Um, And I think there's, I think we're pretty flexible on a lot of that. So if you guys are listening now and you know, you maybe like the old way better or you liked this way better, give us some feedback. Uh, We're on Facebook and all your other socials, but all that To be said, we're jumping back into our recovery stories now. Uh, We have a guest with us today, and also it's pretty fun that Coburn's back. Alex is here with us today, and we are back in our house. For some of you guys that remember, um, when we started this thing a couple years ago, we were doing these podcasts out of our house, and now with COVID restrictions, we are back in our house. So to have this (laughs) refreshing restart from where it began and have it really come full circle is pretty exciting. Um, But yeah, we'll jump in. So we're with Alex today, Alex, how's it going, man? It's going great. Good. Yeah, yeah so how old are you,
1: Alex? I'm 38 years old, and uh, yeah, my sobriety date is November 30th, 2018.
0: Yeah, so we'll jump kind of right back into that. So what was the process for you, I mean, maybe take us a, a couple months back before that of getting into recovery? So like where was like the decision? I know it's probably not like one like big aha moment. Like where was kind of like the moments leading up or the days leading up to be like, okay, I'm, I really need to do this now.
1: So I was a felon on probation and I had three and a half years hanging over my head and I kept going to do UAs for my PO and I just could not get clean before those dates. And I really expressed him like, look, I don't want to do this anymore Mm -hmm. and I still can't stop. So right there I was admitting powerlessness and I didn't even realize it back then. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of worked with me a little bit and, uh, Really, well, what do you want to do about it? And it's like, I don't know, maybe I should go back to an inpatient treatment program. Because I had been once, and that was in 2013. And, of course, I always said it didn't work. However, I didn't work the program that was right. put in front of me. So I'm going to these meetings. I'm, I'm pissing dirty for my PO. And, you know, just living out of the hotel slash bar I was working at. And just really miserable, mm-hmm. you know. I still had the job, I still had a car, I still had a license, You know, I mean, I still had all these things, but those were all external. Internally, I was miserable, and that was for months and months and months, because previously I'd just gotten out of prison, and I actually Mm. was happier in prison than I was right now.
0: Yeah,
2: wow.
1: And then so, my PO's like, okay, well, what do you want to do about it? So I set up a meeting with one of my friends at Cicada, and he's a friend today, he wasn't at the time, of course, but, (laughs) and I was like, I don't know what to do. And he would not tell me that I, I should go back in. I had to come to that conclusion myself. So mm-hmm. he kept asking me what I wanted to do. And I said, well, I want to go to a treatment program. But I don't want nothing to do with God. And I don't want nothing to do with no 12 steps. Because that don't work. Mm-hmm. I love my ignorance back then. It was really beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so two weeks later, I have a meeting with my probation officer. And I don't show up. We'd already discussed everything. Like, you know, I'm going to be dirty. That's not a problem. We're just going to get on the next steps and keep moving forward and I don't show up. He blows my phone up that day and I don't answer and then he did the best thing in the world he could have. He gave me about a week where I am on the run and he calls me back and I answer the phone and I'm like hello miserable he's like oh good I'm glad you answered I was just getting ready to put out a warrant for your arrest." and I'm like you didn't he said no because I knew you're going to do the right thing and I was like oh god I've never had anybody believe in me like that to where it's like they knew I was going to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And without a supportive probation department and everything like that, I don't think I'd be here today. You know, a lot of people curse their POs. They're just doing their jobs. And a lot of them want to help you as long as you're willing to do any kind of help for yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so what do I got to do? He's like, you know what? Just show up at uh, the intake office at 9 a.m. in the morning. And I said, all right, bet. I'll be there. And so I go back to the hotel because I know I'm not on the run now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I fall asleep. And I hadn't slept probably that whole week. I was so paranoid and just out of it. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the morning of that big earthquake that happened right about 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was in a panic, right? Because I didn't know what the f- was going on. I didn't even know where I was at because I was in such a psychosis. Mm-hmm. And then everything kind of clicked like, I'm supposed to be awake right now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, okay, yeah. am I going to do this? Yep, let's do this. And I just ran to the intake office and you know, for me that was a spiritual experience that at the time was just coincidence, but today I can look at it differently. Mm -hmm. So I go to the intake office and I sign up and of course the same lady that I ran from before is there. And, uh, she's like, you got a pattern. I'm like, yes, I do I (laughs) like to run. Imagine that running from my problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then they sign me in and, uh, you know, detox went really easy like for me early recovery was simple because i was so desperate and miserable uh literally detox all i did was sleep and eat i thought i was there for like three days it was five days and then i went into the inpatient program at at serenity house and i was there for probably 35 40 days Mm -hmm. um and again everything went really smoothly for me you know the crazy thing is is I kept seeing the same people that I'd saw five years previous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one individual was still volunteering, doing big book study at the house with that same <laughs> smug smile. And he was legitimately happy every time I saw him. That's the worst. <laughs>
0: right? And I, I swore
1: I it. it was a sham and a hustle. <laughs> right. But instead of, you know, just sitting there with that judgment, I did something that, which was abnormal for me, and I actually investigated it, and I asked him to be my sponsor. hmm And uh, today I can say that that smile is legitimate. It's
0: not as smug as I thought it was. And uh, we have a great relationship today. Yeah. Yeah, So kind of moving forward. So now you just got a job doing peer support as well. Correct. Right. Um, So how does your experience with uh, your sponsor, with people that were peer supports when you were at Serenity kind of affect your, I guess, philosophy as someone who's now engaging in peer support? Um,
1: realistically, I saw these people and they were like my go-to people when I was kind of down and out because I, I had had like everybody up on pedestals as far as the counselors and things, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and the peer supports were really relatable. Right. Uh, they didn't have a huge amount of time, but at that time it seemed like a huge amount, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it just seemed like, wow. But they just came right from where I was, Right. you know, and, uh, made some really great friendships with them, you know, cause Again, your counselors are way up here initially. Mm-hmm. So I saw that, and I got to see how they, you know, responded and reacted with us, and how they were there just really to help, and not just that, but just be present and listen. And uh, you know, I never thought I would do something like that for work because right. I've always done physically demanding manual labor work. I'm a chef, and you know, I've been mm-hmm. a chef my whole life, and I've been miserable doing that. My body's breaking mm-hmm. down. Right. So just realistically seeing, you know, a different way of doing things and a possible career instead of a job
2: for once. So. Right. So I noticed a lot with your story, you mentioned that you'd get a lot of independence, and that's kind of what helped. Like someone talked you into coming to Serenity House, but they didn't really talk you into it. They let you discover that. And the same thing with your PO officer, just kind of letting you find your own way back. Do you try to use that in your peer support? or?
1: absolutely, you know, it's always better when somebody sees something for themselves as opposed to when you just lay it on the table for them, right or even if they're coming up with ideas and they're, I'm this way, very black and white thinking it's either got to be this way or that way Yeah. sometimes all I do is just introduce like you know, a C and a D, like what about these options, you Mm -hmm. know, so if somebody's thinking very black and white then that's definitely something I'll do too, okay Um, yeah, keep it vague so that way they come to the conclusion of what they need to do, uh, because it means a lot more that way Mm -hmm. It means nothing if I can see it. It means everything if they can see it.
0: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I think that's important for people who aren't necessarily in recovery themselves, but might have like loved ones or like are having trouble with like people they love that are in active addiction and trying to get people into recovery. Right. Because you know we can spend like so much time and so much energy in like trying to do things for people and like fix things, I guess. Which is like, kind of like you said, you know, like treatment for you didn't work the first time. Right. And, and, you know, if you go back and listen to a lot of our stories, it's not a first-time fix a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. You know mm. what I
1: mean? Like, It's rare to see somebody get it the first time.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like you said, you had to be, like, desperate enough to really just, like, do it. Yeah. So I think, like, if there's anyone out there who's listening who has, like, loved ones or just, you know, anybody you know that's, like, really going through it and you're, like, beating yourself up, like, t- really trying to... Get them to do things. And it's hard for me to say. Take a step back, take a breath, take some time for yourself, you know, and kind of maybe start introducing some things, taking a little less direct, hands on approach. Because as we've seen, you know, it doesn't happen until it happens. Right. You know, until people are desperate enough to want it. Yeah, so like early, that early recovery process, you said it went pretty smoothly. Um, Was there ever a time where, like, because a lot of the stuff we hear is like, you know at first recovery is just about staying sober like what do i have to do to just stay sober until your you know your brain your mind your mental emotional health can actually like have a minute to kind of come back and flourish because you know, they've been so kind of seared by the act of addiction right um when did recovery for you become less about just staying sober and more about like going back and dealing with a lot of the root causes of like what led you to active addiction?
1: I went through my steps really quickly in about two, two and a half months. And, um, so that's when I started to deal with some of the issues I had caused. However, I was still not right in the head. Of course, you know, Mm -hmm. what's going to happen in two and a half months when I've been doing this for 25 years, but, uh, still just getting out there and making those amends and, you know, working on my thoughts and actions. And then, uh, it really became about like building a life and a future at about eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually when I went back to Minnesota to reunite with my daughter, who I'd been absent in her life from for six years yeah. because wow. of my addiction. Yeah. What three, was that moment three, like? Yeah. That was powerful wow, powerful. Like, just I didn't even recognize her because she was twice the size. You know, mm-hmm. uh, she was a young lady, not a little girl anymore. Uh, I also reunited with my dad in that moment. I hadn't seen him in 16 years, and it was like, oh my goodness, you know it was just overwhelming initially, and just but everything felt so right, you know mm-hmm. at that moment, I could trust my gut again for the first time in years, and you know, I really listened to that today, but it was like everything just felt right, you know, even mm-hmm. when I got because I was I flew down to Minnesota to reunite with them. Even when I got to the house, it just felt like home. you know it felt like mm-hmm. everything was the way it should right. be.
0: So did you leave Minnesota when you were in your active addiction? Are you from Minnesota? Uh,
1: negative. Uh, my my family has lived there since, shoot, 99, 2000, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been up in Alaska since that moment. Yeah, so my family and I are pretty distant. Um, right. My dad's lived there. My mom lives in Washington. And my mom is still in active addiction. Right. And to be completely honest, that's one of the harder things for me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still, I still have work to do in that department.
2: Right. But... Today I'm aware of it. Yeah. It sounds like before you were suffering and it didn't necessarily make sense why. Now now that you can look back and see it, can you see stuff that maybe was getting under your skin that you didn't even realize at the time, like not reuniting with your daughter? I mean, that's something you probably didn't think about day to day, but somewhere, you know, it's digging on you. Deep inside I had a
1: lot of guilt and shame over a Mm -hmm. lot of the things I had done. You know especially the way i treated women in my life you know my ex-wife uh ex-girlfriends uh my daughter you know just so many i treated women like objects for 36 years Mm -hmm. Uh, come to find out they're some of the best people in this world and some of my best friends today and uh my current fiance i was actually best friends with and dated Before getting intimate with. Who knew that? Mm -hmm. That was the thing. (laughs) People do
0: those things. Weirdos. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) That's
2: awesome. Yeah, Yeah.
1: so uh, thank God for that fifth step. Because I really got to look at the patterns of the way I was not only treating those women, but myself. in that, you know, it's like just totally building my ego and just using them as a stepping stone in my ego to build my ego bigger. And it's like I did so much damage to so many people.
0: Right. What was that amends process like then? Like, I mean, to kind of have to face that stuff. That's hard. That's that's a lot of big business. A lot of fear
1: involved with that, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of wreckage I had caused. And, you know, what's amazing is I was always not ready to make them. Mm-hmm. But when it came down to doing them, I felt so great afterwards. Uh, right. Like, not every amends was welcomed with, like, oh, no, not a problem. You know, this is what we can do to make it right. Mm-hmm. Some of them were, F- off and die. Don't talk to me again. But then... God would put that person in my path again, and I would try to make that amends again. And it was a little bit better received the next time. Mm-hmm. So I still didn't consider it complete because, you know, it just didn't feel right still. Right. So.
0: Do you think time has a little bit to do with that too? Absolutely. Yeah, you just know, take a little longer to forgive you then?
1: I've been clean for three months, and I'm expecting you to forgive 25 years of wreckage. That's not right. how it works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And
0: I think... I, maybe I guess I, I want to qualify this statement before I say it. it's like that, I feel like that could be hard for some people and like especially in early recovery when you're try, if you're trying to make amends you're like you finally feeling good about doing all these things right you know you go to like make your amends and like I feel like if you were to have some expectations of like people really be in a, do you have those expectations I had or do ex- people have those expectations that I you had come expectations
1: across? of negative reactions oh, okay. and it was met with mostly positive ones so then when I was hit with a negative reaction I was kind of like shocked like oh don't they know who I think I am? (laughs) Don't don't you see what I'm doing? Those people forgave me. What's wrong with you? what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, I really look back at my behaviors and then their behavior today was completely congruent with the way they were responding to me today. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I really find like most people when you're trying to do right are in your corner and supporting you.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big thing for people that are either in early recovery or maybe just like considering starting to get into the process. You know, if like they're listening to this. I think that's kind of, because that's scary, you know what I mean? Like having to make those amends, like you said, is like a lot of fear involved. Was that something that crept into your mind like even before you actually got to step four, step five? You know, like, like, man, I'm eventually, like, I know, especially having gone, like, the second time, especially having gone through the process before and, like, having seen the steps before, being like, man, I don't have to make amends with these people and, like, that's kind of terrifying.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. You're on step one worrying about step nine and you haven't even looked at step one. Right. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's definitely a lot of fear involved with it, but that's why the steps go in order, you know, mm-hmm. And step four and five, you know, to deal with that fear, that anger and really uh, list out that past relationships with, you know, people and it's uh That fifth step really saved my life, I think, because I was getting ready to do the same old thing, you know, treat women like objects, use them for for my pleasure, and uh, processing that with my sponsor, I learned a lot about myself, Mm -hmm. like how I used them to feel good about myself, they were just another drug to me, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. in the end, and so I'm really glad I did that, and I was also that macho man who thought I didn't have any fears, well, I remember exactly how many fears I had in my four step, there was 43, Wow. And uh, 98 resentments. But I was considering myself fearless. And it's like when I really dug deep and asked myself honestly, I was afraid of everything. That's the way, why I acted the way I did for so long. without out of fear.
2: Right. Yeah. How did you get yourself to the point where you're willing to take an open look at yourself and, and talk to your sponsor? Because it sounds like you went from, man, you're really suffering. And then you were like, okay, I'm really going to get into this program. And then you really opened up. I mean, I'm assuming some people, it's really hard for them to, you know, take a re- retrospective look at their life and be like, wow, I made these mistakes here. Was it the steps that guided you through? Was it your, your sponsor? Maybe a combination? Uh, definitely a combination.
1: Uh, it was everything. Uh, it was definitely the steps and the sponsor, but it was also seeing other people go through it and how they came out the other side. Mm. It was also watching other people not go through it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was desperate for the gifts that I saw the people with. Mm. and desperate to not get what the people that didn't do it had. So mm-hmm. I was, it really is like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, I already lived through this. It didn't kill me. Talking about it with another individual and in God is not going to kill me.
2: You
1: know, mm-hmm. it, yeah, It's going to bring up some pain. Okay. we well, come to find out that was the best band-aid in the world was going back through that pain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So just really mm-hmm. just looking at it.
0: Right. Kind of taking it head on. Absolutely. I feel like at some point like that just, like, that's like inevitable yeah you're gonna have to like i think for everybody though i think like for the majority of humans like eventually at some point having to face what whatever it is like whether it be something you're afraid of or something you've done before some sort of repercussion head-on like push comes to shove and like you got to do it
1: absolutely like there was a lot of trauma i hadn't looked at in my whole life you know it was a painful at first but the more i got into it it was relieving you know Uh, Mm um Most of it was trauma I caused others, but I still had traumatic experiences from it because right. most people shouldn't be getting into this violence thing and mm-hmm. things of that nature, you know. But definitely some childhood trauma, you know, that I didn't necessarily deserve or earn even, you know. Mm-hmm. But 98% of my resentments, I earned them. Yeah. I was the cause of them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Did I have to look at it like, I was the problem
0: here the whole time? Right. This was- is bull****. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. And so how does that kind of move into your um, recovery today? So, like, do you kind of ever reflect on those things? Like, if you, like do you find yourself in, like, those conversations that like, get a little bit tense? You know what I mean? Where you're, like, you kind of start to get a little bit reactive?
1: Uh, I'm really careful with that today. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, I, I tend to pause when agitated and doubtful and things like that. And I, my fiance is a person in recovery as well. We've been together for just about 18 months. And it's really different when we have, I can't even really call them arguments, but differences of opinion. Right. And, uh, you know, tones will be getting a little high and everything. And it's like, okay, my reactions to what she's asking or saying get slower and slower because I don't want to react. I want to respond. Right. Um, So I'm pausing and I'm really considering what I'm thinking about. And initially it used to bother her. And it's like, look, I don't want to say something and actually cause harm because that's my M.O., like I, mm-hmm. I will cut somebody down with my words and make them feel, you know, about an inch big and try mm-hmm. to make myself feel bigger in the process. That's my past. I'm trying to do things differently today. So I really just take my time and respond as opposed to react. So if it takes a gap of 10 seconds, so be it. Sometimes it's not nearly that long. You know, it's just like a second or two. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of huffing. I <sighs> hold my tongue there, huffing and puffing. But uh, it's really changed. This is the most healthy friendship relationship anything i've ever had in my life because when we have issues we can feel comfortable enough to bring them to the table right and know mm-hmm. that we're going to deal with them in a healthy manner and mm-hmm. not scream and yell and belittle each other yeah and the best thing is i don't point out her defects she doesn't point out my defects i just bring my own to the table and then she looks at hers and it's really cool because i'm looking at myself the whole time not like she's the problem
0: but like maybe there's something wrong with me right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I can appreciate that. That's something like that's something that I do cuz I like I'm a lot of the same way. Like I just like cuz for me it's it comes from a little bit of a different place, but it's like if I cuz I sometimes do just really want to say some things that I shouldn't. Yeah. And I know I shouldn't. <laughs> and I get like so close and I like have to breathe and then some people get frustrated that I'm not talking and I'm yeah. like if I talked right now be uh, yeah yeah i appreciate that dude i think that's super cool
1: yeah and so let's say it's with somebody that i haven't had issues with in the past before and it's like we're getting a little heated and i start to pause i kind of like let me just think about this for a second you know let them know like look i'm not ignoring you you know what you're saying is important just let me think about how i'm going to respond to you as opposed to react to you Mm -hmm. you know yeah somebody knew i might explain my actions that way they're not getting even
0: more agitated just sitting there while i'm trying yeah. to collect myself i should do that <laughs> <laughs> that's smart actually just good communication skills <laughs> yeah. would all thought, honestly yeah, Take them yeah. Oh, that's super cool so yeah i mean what is like i feel like being in relationships and you have your daughter back in your life now, correct right? full yeah. custody yeah yeah that's super cool so like sometimes we i mean myself included like want to romanticize like you know, family life and all these, it's like, it's stressful. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So like, how do you, like, what are maybe some like things you do? Like, obviously we talked about taking a step back, but maybe some other things too that you do to like kind of help handle your stress in ways that are effective.
1: Um, I definitely make sure I take time for myself uh, and check in with myself often. Like, am I really okay? Because I've convinced myself for decades that everything's okay no matter what, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. life's great. So when I'm having issues and it's like, it feels like life's coming undone. I reach out to somebody first and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going through. And then I do a lot of self care. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Uh, even self care, I don't want to necessarily do, but like, say, my partner does, and then I enjoy doing it along the way. Mm-hmm. Like, who knew pedicures felt good? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Go wearing face masks is awesome. My pores <laughs> are crystal clear right <laughs>
0: now. I love uh, that, dude. Yeah. yeah. I like the charcoal ones, bro. They're nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So, just uh, lots of self care like that, or just, you know, things are never as bad as I'm making them out to be in my head, especially when I look at my past. So, that's something I'll do, too, is like, I reflect on where I was a year ago or two years ago or even sometimes just a month ago like I have an amazing blessed life today like all my needs are met uh you know I'm happier than I've ever been in my life so when I get into these ungrateful moments I just do a little bit of you know gratitude lists or things of that nature and it's like why was I even tripping about this it's so small in the grand scheme of things Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like tripping about a bill like that bill is gonna get paid Right. It's not going to get paid and, like when I wanted to get paid because I want it paid now.
0: Right. But mm. – And that's – I mean some of that too. I mean like – because especially like depending on your DOC or your drug of choice, like when you're so wired, you want to find things to worry about. You want to – you know what I mean? But yeah, I feel – and so I think when you're hardwired for that and like wanting like that done now or like that like just having to be busy, like – like taking that being able to take that step back is like a pretty valuable learned skill absolutely probably pretty difficult i would assume too oh, oh yeah. yeah i remember
1: the first time i felt peace and serenity and it was after i did my fifth step mm-hmm. i called my sponsor up panicking because i didn't feel right there was something going on i didn't know what it was but there's something wrong and he's like well what are you feeling I'm like well nothing And it's like usually i'm going all over the place. He's mm-hmm. like, you know what that is? And I'm like, no, no. What is it? Tell me. He's <laughs> yeah. like, that's peace. Click. He hung up on me. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <I love laughs> Shook up my peace a little bit, but at the same time, I was like, oh,
2: that's what that is. Okay, I had no idea. It's almost like you feel impending doom. It's like things are going well, something's gonna <laughs> bound to go wrong very soon. Like, no, no, just enjoy it. Like,
1: so yeah, that was alright. like my first moment of peace, and then it's like after that. When now it's like when I don't have peace I get into a panic. So it's it's really cool. My brain has wired itself differently now. Right. Hmm. So yeah, that's when that's really important to have good coping skills and just take hmm. a step back. Like like we've been saying, you know, it's right. just pause, man. There's nothing that is so important unless you have got a limb cut off or something, there's nothing that you know, that's unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas before, you know, if I'd have stubbed my toe, I'd have went back out, you know. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Definitely. So is there anything on your road to recovery and things were kind of going downhill? I'm just trying to think of if someone could have done something in your life, do you think it would have changed things and and made you come down the recovery road sooner? Just thinking about maybe people in your situation who are listening, what do you think might change things around for them? I know for you is kind of like that independence. I don't know if you can think of anything that you're like, man, if I had that, when I was on that rock bottom or that edge if if i could have this one kind of support that would have really helped me through
1: you know my pride and ego was so huge that i don't know if there would have been anything that could have gotten me into recovery sooner um Mm -hmm. you know like my family did really well in establishing rigid boundaries Mm and not supporting the junkie in me at all like you know Mm -hmm. they were there for me when i was ready to do right but when i was not they were not there you Mm -hmm. know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i think that was huge Because if somebody was enabling me, I would have stayed doing this a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's really big is to not enable that person. You know, set some good, strong boundaries. Maybe if I had been introduced to somebody like me in recovery and, you know, would just sat with me, maybe that might have helped a little bit because I'm not going to relate to a family member or a doctor Mm -hmm. or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. I'm going to relate to somebody like me. And I noticed that a lot today. Uh, you know, seeing somebody in a clinical setting, you know, and just getting no connection with the person on the other side of that wall and then they sit down with me and we talk for an hour. You know. Right. So it's uh realistically it's it's really amazing that, you know, connection of one addict or alcoholic to another is just immense.
2: Yeah, right. and you'd mentioned that people the counselors were kind of put on pedestals. Yeah, in my and, mind, yeah. Yeah, and I could totally see how that would create a barrier. You know, of thinking that you're being diagnosed or treated or that they're over there and they're going to fix you over here. But mm-hmm. then when you have this, you know, when someone who's been through it, when you have them counseling, it's more like, hey, I'm going to help you get through this because I've already gone through it. And yeah. I feel like that's that has a lot of value compared right. to we're just going to fix you. Right. Nobody wants right. to hear that.
1: Right. I was always curious what the, what their end game was. You know, what, what right. are they yeah. their mind? And realistically, mm-hmm. it's not... Everything I was cracking it up to be. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. this whole time they were on pedestals, but, you know, in hindsight, looking back on it, we were walking side by side the whole journey. Sometimes they were dragging me by the hand or the hair, but <laughs> and I'm pretty bald. But they were <laughs> <still> dragging, <laughs> you know, but they were still dragging me by the hair. And, uh, you know, everybody I had had on a pedestal was my equal. You know, I am no better or worse than any of these people. I'm no sicker or better than the person just coming in. You know, we all mm-hmm. have the same disease in my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. So...
1: Yeah. it's realistically just accepting that. Right.
0: What advice would you give anybody who may have come across this? That's like just kind of considering getting into recovery. Like they're thinking about it. It's it's on the mind. Uh,
1: you know, just go to a meeting. It doesn't right. matter which meeting, in my opinion. You know, the steps of the steps, A A N A. It doesn't matter. Just go to a meeting and sit and listen once. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see somebody that says something you you like, go up to that person and talk to them. I, I guarantee you, if I don't recognize you and you show up at a meeting I'm at, I'm going to introduce myself to you, you know? We'll probably mm-hmm. go out for coffee or ice cream afterwards anyways and just <laughs> talk, you know? I'm never going to judge you. I, I came <laughs> from a similar background, I promise. But that's huge right there, just establishing some kind of connection to the community. Um, if you're really concerned about it, you know, definitely go to uh, an inpatient treatment program to discuss options. But uh, for that initial step, I think, just even go to a meeting to see... Right. What these people are talking about, and if you
2: relate at all, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. If you think you might, I, I'm pretty sure you will. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like if you think about it, if you're down in the dumps that much, and you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to figure out in life, and you're you're that low, it's probably hard to reach out. Oh,
1: absolutely. That was
2: the hardest but thing for me. It's the most healthy thing to do. It can mm-hmm. lead to the greatest amount of growth. But man, so I, I can imagine sometimes it'd be good to reach out to people that you know who might be. Maybe they're looking for treatment, they're not sure, and they're getting lower and lower and they seem to be kind of fading out. But if you can reach out to them and just be like, hey, if you want to do this, I can help you with it. Like, right. I feel like that would be a huge, huge help. Yeah.
0: But even for people who don't really know, you know what they're looking for, you know just what I mean? For- like, whether it's, you know, like, whether you have some predispositions about AA or NA or like, you know, you're like, whatever, you're like, I don't know what I want, but I know I don't want to go to... Serenity house, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, I think like taking that, I think meetings are a good place to start regardless. Cause I Absolutely. think there's a lot of people, it just provides that support network and like that, mm. or not even necessarily support network right away, but like just the network, like the actual, like non Facebook social network <laughs> yeah, to where you know that like when you go to a meeting and you meet. Alex you know if you see Alex on the street like at least you have like you know like that person is where you might want to be one day and that they still exist like you you don't forget when you see those people out and about you know it's just a good place to start I think
1: yeah to reach out and ask for help is the hardest thing I think I'd ever have to do because I was again growing up with this toxic masculinity like I can fix everything there's nothing wrong with me it's outside things that are wrong Mm -hmm. so Realistically, looking at that and being able to be like, I can't do this by myself. There's no shame in that, you know. Right. It's, they, we say surrender to win, and you know, it's it's true. But who wants to admit that complete defeat initially? Nobody, right. yeah. nobody. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it hurts the pride and the ego, and that's oh, what I've been yeah. building up my whole life is yeah. my pride and my ego. <laughs> so to really take a chunk out of that, that's almost like cutting a limb off, you know. Right. Oh yeah. But it's the most freeing thing when you actually do reach out for that little bit of help and yeah meetings are the great start you know um because i promise if you stick with this long enough that's probably where we're gonna go anyways (laughs) right yeah
2: so people are at what was your experience like coming back to for people who who have gone into treatment and were like forget it that doesn't work and then maybe they're considering going back, but they don't want judgment. They don't want people being like, oh, hey, there's that person who showed up and then left. They're back again. Like, what was your experience like coming back?
1: It felt like I was coming home. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'd spent a previous 44 days in that facility, and there was no detox center at the time. So, of course, I was super sick when I went there. Hmm. Um, so, definitely, that detox center helped me to be comfortable right in the initial stages of it. Um, but, no, I received nothing but... You know, love and open arms and just welcoming back. And I think that's huge. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like I felt a part of the first day. You know, they really help alleviate that fear and things like that. So they're really good at what they do. Mm. Um, yeah. And to see some familiar faces was huge for me. You know, mm-hmm. there was something for me to grab on when I was going back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just couldn't believe those faces were still happy. That's what almost pissed me off. It's like, how can you be happy? It's got to be right. a sham. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) who's happy not drinking or using drugs i don't get it it's not possible
2: (laughs) i'm really curious so what are your thoughts on having a relationship with someone in recovery because it sounds like (laughs) yours is going exceptionally well and actually seems to be super helpful but i've heard in the past that it's a it's a dangerous thing it's a it's tough thing to do because you're both you know having to get over what you've been ingrained in for so long and then also have relationship but what is what are your opinions on that?
1: it's extremely hard especially initially and then there's this fear what if the other one relapses Mm -hmm. well that happened in my relationship
0: Mm -hmm. my fiance
1: Mm -hmm. relapsed right before i came back to alaska Mm -hmm. and it took a lot of work you know i i came back to alaska not knowing if she was going to get clean or stay clean mm-hmm. so there's a lot of fear associated with that however you know this program is giving me faith and i just walked into it mm-hmm. um but the initial stages like oh goodness My, like the emotions i was getting out of things uh super intense like i had no business playing with emotions like that in early recovery right i almost went mm-hmm. back out a dozen times over stupid little things you know mm. even things that weren't necessarily a I wasn't even being wrong but I'd felt like I'd been wrong and
0: again it's chipping right. away at that little ego of mine so mm-hmm. uh, and I think part of that too in early recovery is just like habit you know in mm-hmm. your brain's reaction like and your brain's like still reminiscent need for substance on like a very like physical level like the hormones in your brain and like your hardwiring to be like you've been inactive addiction for so long like i need this to survive and i think that even when you're like when you can rationalize it like when you're done just like reacting and doing it even when you can rationalize like why you shouldn't it's just like that like physical urge to be like but i kind of i kind of do though i don't know maybe the jealousy
1: and insecurity i was going through in early recovery it was really rough um of course i never admitted i was jealous or insecure about Mm -hmm. things because, again, I'm a manly man, right? I am all that is man. <laughs> today, I can't even say that without laughing about it. But, uh, you know, those are the things that went on in my head. And it's like, you know, just she'd be talking to somebody and I'd be like all angry. Like, well, what's this guy doing? You know, mm-hmm. they're having a conversation. <laughs> right. You know, today she'll be going out with her friends. I don't ask who, what, where, when, why. I. That's her life, her choice. Because you
0: trust people now.
1: And then she might come back and tell me about what she did. And that's cool. She's including me in that part of her life, you know? Mm -hmm. But we don't get all jealous. Like, who are you going to hang out with? What are you doing? I don't do that today. Mm -hmm. But in early recovery, I did. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Why why are you hanging out with him? Why aren't you hanging out with me? You know? Mm -hmm. Things like that. So it's a, yeah. She's her own person. She's going to do her own things. I'm going to do my own things, you know. And mm-hmm. we include each other in those things as often as possible. Right. But uh, initially it is super hard. You mm-hmm. know. I would not recommend it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that's... have a healthy relationship today, but
2: I don't know if it always was. Mhm. Yeah. And that's that's riskier in the beginning and like now that you've kind of figured things out, like even you changed how you viewed women completely. Over the span of you know however many days, and so to you didn't even realize it was a problem. Yeah. So then once you realize there's a problem, you're like, oh, I need to change this. Well, you're probably already in a relationship, and you're like, this is gonna be very active, hands-on <laughs> approach to yeah. changing some ideas I've had in my head.
1: Yeah, uh, most of my uh, thoughts of relapse have been either associated with my relationship and early recovery. Or with this virus thing and the lack of connection to people right.
2: oh man yeah uh, yeah
0: what's i mean what's your experience been like in recovery like during covid i mean i think the data is kind of ins- the data as it's like something mystical <laughs> but i think the data has been showing <laughs> has been showing that like relapse is up man and like use is up right now because people are so disconnected like what's that experience been like for you you know initially i would have told
1: you as long as you had god and the steps and all this you, you were fine i'd come to find out human connection was more important in my recovery than i'd ever placed mm. you know any any kind of weight on mm-hmm. and looking at it now it's the most important connection you know right. that sense of belonging mm-hmm. um i had more using thoughts i even made a couple plans like back in march mm-hmm. to to go pick up and i was like this is you know i was able to think it through thankfully right mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of my friends were not able to and they had mm-hmm. you know strong solid recovery And, uh, man, connection is definitely the most important part of my recovery today. My connection to God and my connection to the people around me, you know, it's huge.
0: Yeah.
1: Without it, I don't think I'd be here.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think even, like, as much as, as all three of us here are men, so I think this is easy for us to say, but, like, as men, like, it's easy to, like, to think to ourselves, you know, and I think it's part of that toxic masculinity that you eventually, like, come, like, hopefully get over or like, I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know if you ever really like totally get over it, but whatever. Become aware. Try to yeah. overcome. Yeah. yeah Awareness, I yes. it. Address it, I guess. Yep. Or become aware. Is that like, you don't want to admit that you like need people. Yeah. And I think I like just in general, you know, you don't want to admit that like you're kind of just a social animal that really likes having other social animals around talking to people, you know? Right. And I think like, that's like really hard. With, I mean, Everybody in COVID, but especially like people in recovery in COVID is like when your peer peer-to-peer network is like so important, yeah. and like not having that
2: right now is like
0: really tough. But yeah, so part of I, it, oh, oh, go ahead. No,
2: yeah, no. part of, part of it is that recovery is always a battle. It's always a struggle. And if you have to do it alone, it's much harder. It's nicer to know that there's someone who's kind of suffering with you, who's in it, who's like, yeah, the other day I wanted to use, but I didn't. And that gives you hope. And you're like, yeah, man, I had some plans, but I pushed them off. And then you like, you kind of sharpen each other. You kind of work with each other. And you're, you're like, yeah, you know, this sucks, but we're going to do it. And <laughs> kind of feel, it kind of feels great. It kind right. of feels great to suffer with someone and, and go through the same struggle and, Kind of feel empowered by it. Yeah. And so if you cut off that connection, you know, life gets busy. So unless you make time <sighs> for hanging out with people or connecting, it'll be like a week or something. You haven't talked to any, anybody who's in the struggle with you. And then you, I think that's when the weakness kind of feels like, I don't know if I can do this because you feel so alone.
1: And I truly believe some of my most recent friends relapses actually saved me from one because I was ignoring some pretty major signs in my life. I was working a lot of hours, a lot of days, and uh, ignoring my mental health, my emotional health. Like, I was emotionally detached, like I was in early recovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mental health was a wreck. Mm -hmm. And then I'm I'm seeing these people relapse, and I go up to them, okay, well, what were some of the warning signs? And they're listing them out, and I'm like, oh, I'm exhibiting half of those. That's me. Uh So for the first time in my life, I quit a job based on my mental and emotional health. You, know, For so you that yeah. toxic masculinity, I actually was able to chip away a piece at it because I was like, I'm tough enough. I'm tough enough. This job's only three more weeks. Mm-hmm. It's like, I might not have three more minutes if I keep this up. So All right. wow. let's just cut it back. So mm-hmm. I, instead of working six days a week, I cut it back to two. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, I started this job with the All hospital. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. realistically, that leap of faith, you know, God yeah. was just testing me. And uh, I'm glad that I am able to learn from other people's mistakes today as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Oh yeah, and i'm
1: really glad that they felt open enough to tell me about them right you know and that's how this thing works we can learn from each other if we're Mm -hmm. open-minded and willing Mm
2: -hmm. yeah what
0: i guess that's a pretty good dive right into your peer support job now too because it would did it kind of what's that relationship like when that happens with a peer and you kind of it seems to be I mean, I'm kind of just like seeing it, you know, like obviously I've never been in this situation. So I can't like speak to it obviously through experience, but like you're going to be there to support that person. And so like you're kind of already doing your peer support job before you do your peer support job. Right. So it's kind of a pretty interesting dive in. Like what's that like, what's that conversation like with somebody who like reaches out to you like, here's what's up. You know, like this is what happened.
1: Um, you know, initially it's just letting them know, A, I love them. Mm-hmm. You know, that our relationship hasn't changed at all. You know, you may have made a mistake in your personal life, but I promise it brings no weight or bearing on the way I feel about you today. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing. You know, you're still an inspiration to me. You're still one of my best friends. Um, Definitely inviting them out to go do things, you know, opening that Mm -hmm. line of communication. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Even when somebody's out there in their addiction, I'll I'll send them little three-word texts. uh, Mm. Morning, sir, pray. Or Mm -hmm. I love you. Just opening that line of communication, and I'm sure they're looking at them all pissed off. Right. And then when they come back, It's, you know, once they feel comfortable enough to actually talk about what happened, then I definitely pick their brain. Mm -hmm. But these are, like, some of the strongest members that I had known in recovery, so they were really more than willing to go and, like, share this stuff, and they have no idea how much they helped me by just sharing that little piece of them. And that's how this works, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Just being available, you know? Right.
0: And, like, I asked that question because, you know, like... I keep seeing this thing, you know, it's like relapse is part of recovery, you know? It doesn't
1: have to be though. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. And like that's because it poses an interesting question. You know what I mean? Like the way that's pros, you know, is like relapse is part of recovery. And like it seems to be that like some people find people who have relapsed a few times and keep coming back, you know, and it may even just be like one day or you know, it doesn't have to, or like a short amount of time, you know? And they're like, there's like, because there's a balance between like, harboring that guilt and shame and then like continuing to go and or like kind of accept and then on the other side though accepting that mantra like oh that relapse is part of recovery and doing it like one day like once a month for the next 10 years you know what i mean like and so it's like it poses like you could go either way with it and i feel like you could take it to use it however like would best benefit you right but it just poses an interesting question you know like where does where does that fit you know and like I think that's important for like people that are maybe feeling still even just a little bit of that guilt and shame like of having relapse even through COVID or out of COVID whatever in general is that like reach back out and you'll still be accepted and there's still time to get back to where you were going in the first place. Like because I feel like when people relapse the hardest part is like. God, I can't believe, like, that happened. And, like, and then you want to hide it. And then you feel really bad about it doing it. Then you feel really bad about hiding it. And then you just, like, <laughs> keep feeling, like, that negative self talk kind of festers. And the next thing you know, it's, like, you're a month down the road and things aren't Super better. Super
1: shame, shame spiral and just yeah. feelings I mean. inside. Feelings, they've got to be worse than they ever were before. Because mm. you got this head full of recovery and a belly full of liquor or an arm full of a drug. You know what I mean? I couldn't imagine that pain. Right. Because you, you know what recovery feels like, mm-hmm. and then it cannot feel as good as it was before. I almost promised mm-hmm. that. Right. Oh, yeah. The, it's got to feel worse than ever. hmm And, uh, you know, my story has a lot of relapse in it. I tried mm-hmm. quitting dozens of different ways. And I was right. never successful. So, but I didn't have a head full of recovery with it. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine that pain. But yeah, just reach back out to somebody, anybody. Like a lot of my friends that, that have gone back out actually started to get resentment towards the program and the people in it. And I get that. You right. know what I mean?
0: Is it kind of like this, like they told me this would work thing and like, here I am. like Yeah,
1: it, t- it does not take long for the insanity to creep back in to right. really kind of skew everything that you're looking at. And to blame it on other people is so much better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then I don't have to look at myself. Right. And so... But yeah, then that, once you open that line of communication again and they start to open back up again, it's like, okay, they start to look at themselves again. So there's, mm-hmm. therein lies the problem. Mm-hmm. So it's really a, it's a
2: wild ride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so real quick, what were, uh, you mentioned that you asked the people who had relapsed what the symptoms were. And I'm curious, what were those symptoms in case there's people who are don't even know they're creeping up on that as well?
1: Uh, so know. getting angry a lot. You know, that, that was huge for me and, you know, not finding any pleasure in life and things like that. And just really, um, romanticizing things. Um, like that, like I was saying earlier, the emotional health going down, like I really was not feeling anything other than extreme anger or extreme pleasure. So mm-hmm. just kind of manic kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, exhaustion. You know I mean? I was physically exhausted, mentally exhausted. Uh, I wasn't taking care of things like going to meetings as often as I was. I wasn't filling my spiritual cup. Um, my, my prayer was falling, you know, I wasn't praying as much. I definitely wasn't meditating as much. Uh, there's lots of warning signs, you know, Mm -hmm. but the physical exhaustion crept into the mental health, crept into the emotional health. And then what spiritual health, you know, I I, I had none of that. So Mm -hmm. I was hungry, angry, lonely, and tired all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, those, those four little warning signs they tell you about. I was mm-hmm. those things all the time. I never had relief. How'd you get out? Uh, just by backing away from that job. Oh mm-hmm. yeah.
2: That was the biggest source. Just yeah. Really yeah, cause taking I was, it out of you.
1: I was working in Homer. I was doing, you know, 10 to 12, sometimes 15 hour days, six yes. days a week. Uh, and then I had to worry about my family life up here. So mm-hmm. keeping all that right, you know, co-parenting when I'm a distant parent. So everything's kind of put on my partner. That wasn't fair to her at all. Right. You know, she just literally stepped into this motherhood thing six months ago with my child. And so like them establishing that connection, like it really wasn't yeah. fair of me to do that. That's hard regardless. Yeah. yeah. To, yeah. For anything. And then mm-hmm. for the other parent to be distant and gone. Right. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't fair to yeah. anybody right there. Um, so. And again, it was that toxic masculinity creeping back in. It was that, I've got this. I, mm-hmm. I'm strong enough. There's a the man of the house. Exactly. You're in recovery now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> so I see that pride, that ego, everything creeping back in and all those old behaviors, thoughts, and actions. And I'm like, it, I'm ignoring them for a while. It was probably about a month of, you know, where I should have been done with it.
0: Mm-hmm. But I
1: kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it until it became normal. Mm-hmm. And then, you know... I hate to say it, but thank God those guys relapsed because I was able to pick their brain and they were guys I respected, trusted, you know, and had been friends with me the whole time on this journey. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is going to happen to me if I don't make some changes. So I made changes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like just realistically setting your pride and your ego aside and looking at yourself like, am I okay with this? Mm Because I can convince myself I am if I don't really stop and look at it, then I'll, I'll Convince myself I am.
2: Yeah, man, that's powerful. Because, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who you go down that road and you don't even realize you're on it until you get to the crossroad. It's like, I have to make a decision. And it's so much harder because you've walked so long on this path that leads exactly where it's always led. But if you don't consider it, if you don't look around and have that awareness and take the steps like you do with self-care of saying, okay, no, my mental health has value. I need to make some changes in my life because things, I've I've just been ignoring what's been going on around. And you just get so busy with life and caught up that, man, it'll just take you by surprise. Exactly.
1: I can normalize anything. You know, any kind Mm -hmm. of traumatic stuff I can make normal. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm not saying going to work was traumatic but it was definitely not healthy the way I was doing it yeah right I was doing it alcoholically or you know Mm -hmm. nobody needs to work 60 hours a week you know right or more and then Mm -hmm. drive three hours a day and then not be available for your family you know it's like it was so many just wrong things were, were going on at that time and it was like I was ignoring it ignoring it ignoring it in almost gaslighting my my partner like you know this is what it's got to be you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> supporting the family <laughs> yeah don't you know who i think i am <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just going back to all that stuff like you know mm-hmm. i gotta provide 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 it's like i gotta provide for myself too you right. know it's true otherwise i can't i'm not gonna be there for them mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah. definitely Definitely. So,
0: Alex, thanks uh, for coming and recording with us today, man. I think this was super cool. I think some of the main things we hit on today were when you're at that point where you're ready to get help, meetings, good place to start. Absolutely. Um, I think – where can you find information on meetings? Do you know? Uh,
1: AA.org. A- A- I, um, and there's also Peninsula.org for local ones. Uh, there's Meeting Guide. Uh, it's an app on the phone um as for the na meetings uh there's a Kenai na i think there's a, a group there just reach out there um lots of social media sites uh put the dope down uh you know mm-hmm. things like that get lots of support through there and they can help point you in the right directions right um there's meeting lists and guides everywhere though they got them at the hospital at the intake office uh things of that nature and it's pretty rare somebody doesn't know somebody in an addiction so it's starting to come over and not know somebody in recovery. Right. Just find that one person out and they can help you get to the right direction.
0: And if you feel like inpatient is the thing for you or maybe uh, an outpatient program or you're looking into something more of that nature, we're all big Serenity House fans. We think that's awesome. Absolutely. So <laughs> The
1: intake is 907-714-4521.
0: You'll call our friends there and they'll get you figured out how to get you... They're not going to judge you. Nope. <laughs> They've been there. Mm-hmm. Help you get to where you need to go. Thank you very much, Alex. I think this was great. I'm yeah. glad we talked about recovery with you today. Yeah. This was super fun. My no. honor and pleasure. All right. This was you and I for the Kenai.